0: Yes, Black Table Talk Edition, during Dialogues. We are back for the rest of the season. I hope that you have had a rested uh, holiday season. I hope that you have had an a, opportunity to spend time with your friends and your family. I hope that you have been enjoying our variety of posts. Um, that we've been posting to our Black Table Talk page. I am Shante Charles. I am the founder of this page. Um, I know in the past people have said, is this really a page being led by Black people or someone else behind the scenes? Well, I am the person behind the scenes. So if you are with us for the first time, I would like to say hello to you and Welcome. On Tuesdays, we have been holding our read-alouds for Daring Dialogues here in this space. But if you would like to um, join us for the rest of the week, we are on IG under Daring Dialogues. You can find all of our live broadcasts there from this season. And I believe uh, part of last season is also there. So if you want to see what we're reading Monday through Friday, every day of the week, we're reading something different. Um, You can join us over there in that space. On Tuesdays, however, we have been tackling all things black. Black people, black authors, black concerns, black issues. And we have been reading from Black Women, Black Love, America's War on African American Marriage with so many conversations that are happening around the subject of black women who do we love who don't we love who do we like who don't we like um are we you know turning on black men or not um are we divesting from black men or not all of these conversations that are happening um you know are black women to blame for the problems in the black community I've seen so many different conversations happening, and, you know, the reality of it is this society bears some responsibility. The constructs in our society bear some responsibility, and, of course, we ourselves bear some responsibility. But this book is talking about the historic and systemic things that have created some of the fallout that we see in our society today. And I think it's important to continue to look at that and not just think that what you see happening, um, I would say, in our program society or in our propagandized society, that that is what all of Black America is about. One of the reasons we started this page and we started this space was to give people a little bit more Um, of an open view into Black culture, Black people, Black life, what concerns us, what doesn't concern us, Um, that is not centered around pushing someone else's agenda onto us. So anything that we post on this page is by us, it's for us, it's about us, it's us talking with us and to us and about us. Um, And so we want to continue to keep this page very organic, non-sponsor-driven, non-sponsor-led, and a lot of what I receive in terms of support, donations, comes directly from Black people. It does not come from any corporate sponsorship, and I'm very happy about that because I don't want anybody to say that this page is corporate-driven or... um, it's promoting something that is detrimental to the life, the health, and the culture of black people. We have enough of that going around, right? We have enough people that have pretty much sold the soul of black people into an agenda, and we don't plan to be a part of that. All right? (laughs) So if you are here, or if you found this page, you are here because, or it was put into your algorithm because we are an organic page. We're not corporate sponsored. We're not corporate driven. We're driven by the concerns and the needs of black people, period, point blank, amen. (laughs) So we're gonna dive back into this particular chapter which is asking the question, will black women ever have it all? Will black women ever have it all? And he's talking uh, she is talking right now about the most ardent pushers of patriarchy in the black community being male pastors. Now, every time I read something like this, it it continually draws me back to what I see continually in the black church. Um, I am a minister, I am a licensed elder. Um, I have been a pastor for the past going on 13, no, going on 11 years now. And so this does concern me. It concerns me personally as a woman. Um, it concerns me in terms of the fact that there will be spaces that I will never be invited into to speak because they don't believe in women pastors or women spiritual leaders. Um, am I okay with not going into spaces that don't believe that? I absolutely am because I know who I am. Um, but for people who may be concerned, you know, about, well, they won't let me because X, Y, and Z, this is this is a concern. Um, when I think about some of the programs and things that are happening, when I think about some of the the events that may be put on in spiritual um, contexts, and I look at the advertising for it, or I look at the flyer for it, it is oftentimes, even though it is, you know, mainly Black spiritual leaders, it is oftentimes all men. And then that leaves me with the question of, well, is there no women that you can call on to speak on this particular issue? Or do you just not care to invite women to speak on this issue? Or do you think that women don't have anything to say about the issue? So I always, you know, I, it makes me take a little bit of a step back, to be honest, um, when I see events that just have men on the panel, especially if it's talking about subject matter that is relevant, not just to men. So I'm not talking about a men's conference, right? I'm talking about just issues in general, but there's no woman on the panel. So if you are a spiritual leader that is listening today, I just want you to mull that over, think about it, consider it, especially for this year with those of you who have conferences and, and um, events coming up. Think about why is it that all the people on your panel is all male? And why haven't you invited um, a woman to speak into whatever that subject matter is? So as we jump back in, we're going to be talking about today Black Theology patriarchy and what role historically have these things played in the perception of women. We're also going to talk a little bit about single black mothers who have become scapegoats for the failures of a patriarchal marriage. And then we're also going to look at interracial relationships. And I believe we will stop there. Um, yeah, let's see if we can get to that part. Stewart is convinced that canonization of MLK's letter from a Birmingham jail will give the letter weight, the importance and authority and the urgency it deserves in Christian lives. Put it in a book and people will read it, he declares. Put it besides Paul, people will read it and we need Christians everywhere to read this important letter. Stewart's 2014 argument was not without precedence. At the Black Theology Projects 1979 National Conference, black theologians and biblical scholars queried, why not add a black book to the existing 66 books of the Holy Protestant Bible? According to the BTP director at the time, Reverend Muhammad Isaiah Kenyatta, Many theologians thought King's letter from Birmingham City Jail epitomized black sacred literature and was a prime candidate for canonization. The Baptist minister and lecturer explained, The sacred letter or epistle is a common biblical form. Martin Luther King, the black Christian, writing to the white churches of Birmingham, parallels the Apostle Paul, a Hebrew Christian, writing to the Roman churches. The reflective and critical inter- interpretive work Stewart is undertaking today at the layperson's level is exactly what black biblical scholars and Christian theologians were doing decades earlier at the academic level and are doing still today. Their professional training and faithful commitment to the Christian tradition equipped them to wrestle in expert fashion with the question of how to recognize and apprehend God's revelation in the Bible and in the world. By now, many black Christian scholars have also taken up the subjects of patriarchal marriage and gender roles for husbands and wives, yielding tremendous resources to help Christians discern God's revelation and distinguish it from cultural structures that facilitate subjugating hierarchical relations in the marital union and the human family. Reputable scholars commentaries in biblical theological scholarship are becoming more accessible in our digital culture, and Black Christians should be placing them in conversation with their favorite preachers and mentors. Unfortunately, the academic world of biblical scholarship and the ecclesial world of biblical preaching do not intersect as often as they should, leaving many parishioners at a loss for where to begin if they want to access the research and knowledge of biblical experts. Contrary to what some have been taught to believe, faith, and scholarly inquiry are not incompatible. And through archaeological, historical, textual, literary, philological, and other methods of critical study, biblical scholars have uncovered extensive information about the complex cultural universities in which peoples of the Bible lived out their dynamic faiths. I should say that I privilege Christianity in this discussion because 79% of African Americans identified as Christian, and roughly 7 out of 10 Black Christians identified as Protestant. Moreover, 54% of Black people read the Bible at least once per week outside of church settings, even if they don't go to church, while only 24% reported seldom or never reading the Bible. However, Black Americans do practice other faiths, including Islam, Buddhism, African um, heritage, and neo African religions such as Yoruba Ifa and Asar, Aset Hebraic traditions, and a host of other religious expressions. The number of religiously unaffiliated African Americans has also grown from 12% in 2017 to 18% in 2014. And I believe that number is continuing to grow. Learning from other religious traditions have edified black populations and can also enhance a national conversation about patriarchal marriage and religious values across the entire black community. When scholars surveyed nearly 350 black adults in Northeastern Ohio and Western Pennsylvania to inquire about their criteria for marriage, they discovered that both African-American men and women seek well-educated, financially stable, monogamous, and affluent partners who are spiritual, religious, self-confident, and reliable. If this admittedly small sample is any indication of the national importance of religion and spirituality to black couples, there is a high probability that religiously inspired patriarchal values are actually diminishing the quality of married and family life that black wives, husbands, and children actually seek. The financial strain that most black families experience across poor, working, and middle classes makes the patriarchal marriage ideal untenable and a likely culprit in the removal of decent and respectable men from the black marriage market. In 2016, the median net worth of black families was approximately $17,000. This paled in comparison to white families, whose median was $171,000. Thus, for every dollar a white family possesses in wealth, a black family has only a dime. I want you to listen to that statement again. For every dollar that a white family possesses in wealth, a black family possesses a dime on average. So in this current construct that we have, when you say to black women, the black man must be the sole breadwinner of a household because really that is how a patriarchal structure is set up. The way this society is structured, it makes it almost impossible for that to be the case. Which means usually in a partnership between a black man and a black woman, she too is having to go out and earn Okay, let's keep going. A 2013 study that surveyed 33 black men revealed that 32 viewed marriage as a stabilizing force and affirmed increasing marriage rates among African-Americans as a worthwhile goal. Of this number, 26 lamented the fact that, quote, too many African-American families are missing strong fathers serving as heads of their households. The state of Black marriage today and the studies discussed earlier invite us to question whether, quote, too many African-American families are missing strong fathers because Black men are expected to serve as heads of their households, often with inadequate resources for this role. Now, I have talked about this for years, but if you do not understand... (laughs) that the economic structure of America is not set up for black men to lead as head of household because on average for every dollar a white family possesses in wealth, a black family possesses 10 cents. That's going to be a problem. It's the math. It's the math. So you're putting a expectation on someone in a construct that is making it difficult for them to have the income that they need in order to fully, in this patriarchal system and structure, lead as head of household. That's what we're talking about today. I highly recommend abandoning this futile and divisive Euro-Western quote-unquote head of household title altogether if not legally, then at least culturally. Instead of normalizing the patriarchal head of household role that most Americans tend to take for granted, black families should consider privileging opportunities to nurture the health and wellness of the entire kinship structure through the sharing of adult responsibilities and prerogatives as we previously did because anytime you step into a role and an expectation that has literally been set up for you to fail, you're going to find frustration with it. Furthermore, in a nation that has impoverished black men systemically and trampled on their sense of masculinity and preparedness to be responsible fathers, the best way to address the dilemma of quote unquote absent strong fathers is through aggressive structural programs designed to move black men out of poverty and build inheritable wealth for their posterity. Now, I do want to say in spite of all of this, according to the research, CDC says that black men continue to be the most involved fathers of any other demographic group. So, even though they are looking at the Goliath of a wage gap and a wealth gap, they're still actually the most involved. And that is not said enough. Period. (laughs) Okay? And, let me say this, I know in my own life, which is what we might call anecdotal evidence... Most of the men that I know, like I'm literally trying to think off the top of my head, but I can't find one because most of the men I know are doing what they need to do in order to move themselves out of poverty, move their families out of poverty and build inheritable wealth for their posterity. And again, not enough of that gets any credit, (laughs) in our society. You'll hear about all day long, the the men that have, you know, 10 different baby mamas. You'll hear about that. You are guaranteed to hear about that at least once or twice or maybe three times a week. But you're not hearing about the men who are choosing to move themselves out of poverty, who are choosing monogamy, who are choosing to build wealth for their families. So, I tend to engage in content that actually shows a larger picture of what is actually happening amongst Black men versus the stereotype propagandized picture that continues to be put out that we know is not the full picture. Now, let's move on to this next subject. Single Black mothers being scapegoats for the failures of patriarchal marriage less talk and less go to data in recent decades demographic data has indicated high national rates of black single parent homes in 2017 69% of black babies were born to unmarried women now unmarried women doesn't mean that the father is not present in the child's life. So we have to pay attention to how um, data is described. I'll put it that way. 65% of black children were being raised by one parent. Since most black children residing in single parent homes are being raised by their mothers, Fervent dis- discussions about responsible black fathers have unfolded, even though the data actually shows that fa- black fathers are present more than any other demographic. So they may be raised in a single parent home, but that does not mean that the father is not engaged and involved in the child's life. hmm Quite often these discussions are premised upon patriarchal assumptions about masculinity and fatherhood. As a result, the urgency with which some black men and women are advocating for patriarchal fatherly presence in the home has served to actually reinforce stereotypes that pathologize black mothers. A common criticism is that black mothers cannot raise black sons to be men often a veiled jab at the way that we identify masculine identity in our society and the way we label black women's parenting skills as poor. In her New York Times opinion piece, A Daddy-Daughter Date, Queer Single Mom Style, Aisha French criticizes the social pressure single mothers bear of having to secure daddies for their children and carrying excessive guilt if they don't. Using her own life choices as an example, French explains that some single black mothers purposefully enter motherhood alone and admits, "'I sometimes find myself hyper-motivated "'to give my daughter everything children "'with two-parent families have, including braces, "'a mortgaged home, a dinner date to a place "'where the staff treats my children like royalty.'" But French goes to the heart of the issue, naming the special pain that black mothers feel when they are compared in their unenviable lives with the romanticized images of daddy-daughter dates in our national culture and consciousness. Thinking about her own immediate matrifocal family, she writes, what hurts us is the social and emotional toll of scholars and pundits suggesting, as they have for generations, that our very family unit, A mother, a daughter, and no one to ring the doorbell with a suit jacket on is a liability and the cause of any difficulties we might be experiencing. French's intervention provides an opportunity to reiterate a larger point, that not only should Black love and Black marriage not be patriarchal, but they don't need to fit into Mm -hmm. these stereotypes. By now, I hope readers are convinced that single black mothers who want to be married are not the problem, nor will husbands solve all of the problems in a family. Rather, single black mothers who want to be partnered or married are survivors of systemic forces that are far more powerful than their deepest desires for enduring romantic relationships. For heterosexual black women, including single mothers who want and deserve romantic love and marriage with black men, they should not have to accommodate the systemic and structural barriers that prevent them from even finding black male significant others, let alone spouses. Human beings, including black women, were not designed to endure loneliness and isolation. The common assertion that we are social animals is trite but true. The common <clears throat> the social exclusion and the lack of meaningful connections with others including partnered love and companionship can cause a serious problem that has deep roots in our biology as well as in our social environment. Human displeasure with loneliness is founded in a genetic predisposition to social living and a high sensitivity to the feeling of absence of connection. When we are derived of meaningful connections with others, our perceptions and behaviors can become distorted, leading to negative, even dire consequences for our holistic health. The answer for single Black women in search of love and partnerships with Black men does not lie in normalizing singlehood, or life without intimacy and meaningful connection to a partner. It does not lie in scapegoating Black women for the sins of a patriarchal, misogynistic, misogynoir society. Those who care about Black women and Black love should refuse this arrangement with the same force with which many have refused slavery, lynching, disenfranchisement, segregation, redlining, under resourced schools for black children, disparities in health care, racial profiling, mass incarceration, and every other civil and human rights violation that black people have suffered in this nation. Creating the conditions for quality black marriages is a social good that benefits the nation overall and the driving force behind the quality of a good Black marriage does not have to be Euro-Western patriarchy. Now, I got some more homework for people to do. If you have never heard of the English doctrine of coverture, I want you to look that up and go find out what was the system that America based its marriage system upon. Go look at the English Doctrine of Coverture. Then, I want you to go look up the term headship theology. Headship theology. Those are two terms that need to be dug into, looked at, by men especially. And ask yourself, What does this mean for the kind of relationship that I want to lead? Am I bringing the women in my life under this kind of doctrine? And what does that mean for my relationship with the women in my life? So whether it's your mother, whether it is your sister, whether it is your wife, whether it is your daughters, if you have daughters, what kind of structure am I okaying that I want the women in my life to be subject to because those two things have a lot to do with the system that we see that set up right now all right final section here i don't know if we're going to get through it because i do want to leave some time for discussion we'll see interracial relationships with unprecedented numbers of Black women missing out on not just Black love, but love, period, some have recommended that Black heterosexual women date outside of their race. Citing the well-known fact that Black women outnumber Black men nationally, and also in terms of educational attainment, they advise Black women in search of love to mar- and marriage to cast their dating nets wider to include men of other racial and ethnic heritages. Doing so gives black women a broader range of options and lessens the chance of them lowering their standards when they can't find black men who are financially stable or who have comparable levels of education and professional attainment. For example, Ralph Banks proposes that, quote, if more black women marry non-black men, more black men and women might marry each other. Banks explains further this clothing recommendation in his book, Is Marriage for White People? He says, if black women don't marry because they have too few options, and some black men because they have too many, then black women, by opening themselves to interracial marriage, could address both problems at once. For black women, interracial interracial marriage doesn't abandon the race, it serves it. Others have explored the world of interracial dating and marriage through in-depth interviews with black women who have pursued love across racial borders. In her 2018 text, Interracial Relationships Between Black Women and White Men, sociology professor Cheryl Judice presents vignettes of black women who are dating, married to, or divorced from black, black, white men. Judice conducted 60 interviews to offer firsthand thought-provoking insights on the lives of those who have crossed racial divides in pursuit of personal happiness. Advancing the personal fulfillment of black women motivated her to write the book after hearing so many complain about their non-existent dating lives and after witnessing so many of her friends and acquaintances black sons get married and black daughters yet remain single. It is my hope she conveyed in this interview that presenting their stories will cause more black women to intentionally broaden their idea of suitable dating and marriage partners. This book is not intended to diminish black men, only to present another dating option for black women who wish to get married and who recognize that the continuing numerical imbalance between black men and women in this country reduces the likelihood of marrying within their racial and ethnic group. In another interview, she reported that since the the publication of her book, several of her black women readers actually changed their online dating profile preferences. This scholarly conversation about black women and interracial dating and marriage is attended by the recurring buzz of gossip that echoes across black social media whenever high profile celebrities, such as someone like Serena Williams or politicians such as Kamala Harris, marry white men. Do such pledges of love signal a turn in black women's marital partnering aspirations? Should black women remain loyal to the idea of marrying black men and black family formation, even if it means they may never marry or will marry closer to or during their post-menopausal years? When Issa Rae suggested in jest that black women should start dating Asian men, since they were both the least likely to be selected for dates, Black women and men lambasted her for her remarks. Black men were especially rude in scorning her body and face, even several years after she published her comments um, in The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl. As raucous and emotional as debates surrounding interracial dating can be on social media, I seek to contribute to the conversation from a different vantage point. While personal happiness and emotional health can be deeply impacted By extensive periods with no emotional or sexual intimacy with a romantic partner, I approached the crisis of black women and black love with a view toward attacking the causes rather than the outcomes of the crisis. When I listened to Judice explaining why she wrote her book, I felt that she had taken the words concerning my own journey right out of my mouth. For my adult life, I have heard similar stories and witnessed my own share of black women with no one to love. When I was completing my doctoral degree, one of my black female friends who was also pursuing her PhD told me she was emotionally exhausted from living a life without any black male company. Forget the fact that she was not partnered. She just wanted black male energy and presence in her life in some way. She told me that she could go an entire week Even several weeks without having a substantive conversation with a black man who was not her brother. Each time I discussed this topic, they responded, My friends, with dozens of parallel stories. This situation is serious, and I respect the position of those who want to just stop the bleeding right now for black women. However, what we should do about the structural forces that have created a population disparity between black women and black men as early as their teenage years, what should we do about that? Should we not attempt to curtail the intersecting injustices, things like inherited poverty and wealthlessness, domestic white terrorism, misogynoir and misogynoir laws and policies, calculated and strategic disappearances, colorism and phenotypic stratification, mass incarceration, All of these things have directly and indirectly punished Black people for loving each other. It is a daunting prospect to take on the machinery behind America's history of forbidding Black people to love each other. But do we really have a choice? (laughs) And isn't it our moral and social responsibility to change the landscape of love for black women and black men in a democratic nation whose citizens profess to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Black women do not suffer alone through this crisis Black men and black children suffer directly from the loss of familiar support and parental presence and guidance, wealth and financial stability, affirming and healthy conceptions of black beauty and value, and much more. But in addition to African-American individuals, families and communities, our nation suffers too from its destruction of human talent and resources, fiscally and socially absorbing cycles of inherited poverty and wealthlessness, antisocial attempts to survive systemic oppression, over-policing, incarceration, and the physical and mental health consequences of the burden of literally 400 years of what some scholars actually brand as racial capitalism. The weight of this kind of use and abuse of people of African descent and the wasting away of their right to healthy love and marriage take a toll on our entire American society. Admittedly, encouraging black women to date white men and men of other racial ethnic heritages does expand their pool of available men. But this advice will only go so far if we don't address colorism and phenotypic stratification as well as misogynoir in American culture and consciousness. Ideologies that have painted black women in the most undesirable light in the minds of many non-black men. If too many black men don't value and desire black women with dark complexions, there are likely to be many more white, Asian, and non-black Latino men who will feel the same. I think that's a very good place to stop. But I'm also going to throw some commentary in here. (laughs) And some people ain't going to like it, but it is what it is. One of the things she talked about here is, um, should black women remain loyal to the idea of marrying black men? The question I would counterpose to that is, <laughs> as much as people want to think or believe um How can I say this in a kind way? The grass, (laughs) this is a good one. The grass is not always greener on the other side. So whatever you think may be what you're running away from in your own culture or with black men, the reality is some people have moral issues. And it has nothing to necessarily do with their ethnicity. They're just bad men. So if you've categorized, like one of the things in here that she talks about, if you have categorized black men as deadbeats and not taking care of their children, so you're going to go be with someone in another demographic, just understand they have deadbeat dads over there too. I'm just saying, Um, if you have categorized black men as abusive, right? We often hear misogynoir, this sort of um, not really respecting black women. Just understand you might run into that in another demographic and it might be worse than what you've experienced with your own demographic. As far as what our society is doing in terms of, like she said, and I think she makes a really, really valid point here, about do we not have a moral and social responsibility to change the the landscape? Because I can tell you right now, and I've been looking and reading up on some things for maybe the past 60 days, I just decided I'm going to go and I'm going to watch another culture's films on what they view love and marriage to be. So right now I have been looking at what India is putting out for their demographic, okay? Okay. Themes in Indian films that I have noticed, and if you're Indian, I don't know what, there's different kinds of Indian, so I don't want to disrespect anybody's specific ethnic classification, but I have watched a couple from different regions. So if you're Indian, chime in in the comment section. But what I have noticed about their films is they are taking on colorism. They are almost overly praising their women in their films that they put out. They are addressing patriarchy and how it has affected their culture. They're openly addressing this in their films. They are addressing Indian men loving Indian women. And there are tons of these films being put out, especially on Netflix. The films are centered around Indian men loving Indian women and their pursuit of Indian women. They're not trying to pursue anybody else in their films. Um, They're also addressing the abuse that happens sometimes in, um, in families. They're addressing... The fact that their men hit their women, and they're addressing it in a way to say this is what's happening in our culture, and this isn't right. They're addressing uh, the men in their culture who catcall and approach women in a inappropriate and disrespectful way, and they're showing the characters take out the men in their community that are disrespectful to the women in their community and address them. And they're doing this through film. Why? Because they figured out that film is a very powerful media to convey what you want to happen socially in your own culture and what you want to happen socially, uh, with marriage, with relationships and what you want other nations to understand and other people to understand about how you feel about these social and cultural norms that are happening now i know you probably said what is her talking about indian bollywood indian movies have to do with what we see happening in black people culture i'm getting there now Let's shift over to what Hollywood is doing. Hollywood being um, our larger picture of American culture and society. If you can, and I'm not talking just about TV series, but if you can, I want you to name at least 10 movies. Name at least 10 movies you've seen maybe in the last two years that feature a black man loving a black woman. Okay. Black man loving black woman. Not black man pursuing a white woman or black woman pursuing a white man or white man pursuing a black woman Or White Woman Pursuing a Black Man. I want you to name some films in the last two years. Give me ten. Where the main character is a black man and a black woman. And they're loving each other. Then I want you to give me some films. I want you to give me some films that showing a picture of Or displaying in film that you don't disrespect a black woman. Give me some names. So, I'm going to stop there. And I just want you to think about How your consciousness is being shaped to accept certain things right now in our society. We'll continue this conversation on next Tuesday. I encourage everyone to get this book. If you are a black woman, you especially need to get this book. If you are a black man, you need to get this book. The book is by Diane M. Stewart. Black women, black love. America's War on African American Marriage. All right, Pastor Ben, I'm going to bring you on because I know you have something to say. So I'm going to bring you in. We've got about 10 minutes here. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Now, why would you think that I would have anything to except... say? <laughs> <laughs> what? What would this, What would this, I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand it. If you know me that well, <laughs> but anyway, but I'm gonna tell you, I can't think of it. Not in the past two years. I, I would have to go back most of my life and start uh, looking from there. But in the past two years. In, I, can't, I couldn't do it. So, but uh, but when you before you went there, that's what I was thinking. Here, uh, in film, there is, it's being used, but it's being used to tell a different narrative concerning us, mm-hmm. it, instead of it being used to bring out the truth or to address issues that's going on with us. Mm-hmm. So this is, let's Mhm. Why to affect us and to spin a narrative concerning us, uh, calling the women all types of names and stuff like that—that that, that was deliberate. Oh,
0: and so- let and let me say this: Give me, name me a movie that doesn't show our love connected to a slave film. That like we only struggled to love each other during slavery.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And not any other time. Yeah. But listen,
1: we are people still denying that systemic racism exists. They're denying that. This is why a lot of these issues won't be addressed. Because they're still in denial of even black people are in denial over that. I've I, I spoken him once before about this young lady, and I was teaching him and telling about systemic racism and all these things, that, oh, it doesn't exist, uh, how you've been racial profile? what's threat you racially. And I, I, asked, she was asking younger guys, right? And I said, well, I can give you plenty. Yeah, I can give you plenty. She said, well, you've been around a while. I said, yeah, things have not changed. they've gotten worse. It got better for a little bit. But it's like now we're going back. And that's level. So but here it was earlier last year, or about the middle of last year, the same young lady had to come back to me when well, she didn't have to, but she did and apologize. Because she started her own business and realized that systemic racism is real. hmm Because it was working against her now. Mm-hmm. Because we yeah. started our own business. Yeah. And and that you go, know, well, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Because you got a system built in to keep us from doing it. Right. So we can we overcome it at certain areas at a certain at the same point. And I had this discussion last night in my Bible study. We um, uh, while the Bible study was about was about uh, uh the Holy Spirit and Christ, finally the Christ have to leave before the Holy Spirit could come and fill us. Uh we discussed that. And I started talking about business because there's a lot of people on there that own their own business we got this new girl she's, she does all type of insurance and stuff so I wasn't mentioning that and then we got into this discussion about black business. Mm-hmm. and the thing is that if we start supporting our own across the board I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it
0: I'm going to say it again nobody is going to come up with a campaign for us to love one another so, that means artists, rappers,
1: uh-huh,
0: songwriters, mm-hmm. directors, script writers, movie producers.
1: Yeah.
0: You know who I want to, Mr. Mr. Georgia Studio, I ain't gonna call his name. Uh-huh. Because you've given us what at least twenty years of black trauma relationship uh-huh. movies? Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. It's
0: time to do something different. Yeah, because it's because about. it's one thing to talk about yes, these are the things that are that have happened, but you're also in those films not talking about the root cause. Uh
1: huh.
0: You're only showing the the results in your films. Uh-huh. You're not talking about the root cause, which is again, not really helping, <laughs> not
1: at all.
0: but I will say this. I will say this. Somebody again, somebody going to like it, but it's the truth. The only way you can get other human beings in this world is through black men and black women. We are the combination that makes everyone else. Uh So no matter how you feel about it, for us to diminish in coming together means eventually ain't going to be no more nobody else. Uh It's called the mitochondrial Eve. Eve. Secondly, (laughs) there is a population, there is a group of people who have figured this out. Uh -uh. That the only way for their genetics to survive into the next 10, 20, 30,000 years is that they got to find a mitochondrial Eve to get their seed into. So while you're buying into the propaganda to run away from your women?
1: Uh-huh.
0: They're saying, "Great. Goodbye." Uh-huh. <laughs> because I need a mitochondrial Eve, I E black woman, to put my seed in to make sure uh-huh. that my genetics continues on for the next into perpetuity. Uh-huh. So if you don't understand the science of that, if you don't understand the politics of that, if you're just going on your emotions, they're happy to let you continue to go on your emotions while they take all of your mitochondrial eaves.
1: Uh-huh. And I'm going to
0: just say it that way. Final thoughts, Pastor uh, We need
1: to. We need to support our own.